Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith, codenamed Comic Shams. And I'm Andrew Tejada, codenamed Arate. I'm a blur with a love for artwork and comics and animation. And I'm a writer and blurred with a love for pretty much the same things. We grew up together and spent much of our formative years watching and talking about DC superhero shows and content. In fact, we still do. Every episode, we will discuss a DC production, compare it to its original source material, and share our thoughts on the adaptation. We've enjoyed our conversations these past couple of decades, and we think you will too. This season, we're looking at 16 years of DC animated movies to see which stories are sweet and which ones are sour on yet another DC animated podcast, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Welcome to yet another episode of yet another DC animated podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I am Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. Andrew and I have known each other since 1996. That was the year Aldous Hodge had his second film role in a, uh, it was a rom-com called Bed of Roses, or maybe it was just a romance, no com, but <laughs> no com. <laughs> he had a, he had a very minor role in that as, as Prince, but do you know what his first movie role was in? Um, I'm not going to say Black Adam, even though there's DC continuity wise, it should tell me it was, but what was his first role? He was a he had a film debut in Die Hard with a Vengeance. Wow. Ah. I kind of need to go back and watch this. I'm pretty sure he did survive the Nakatomi Plaza thing because he wasn't even there for it. But I wonder what, what he was doing. He was, was he a cop? No, no. Oh. Samuel Jackson was Zeus Carver. Aldous Hodge was Raymond Carver. <laughs> so got it. Next time you watch Die Hard with a Vengeance, look out for Aldous Hodge, little Hawkman. <laughs> well, speaking of Aldous Hodge, I mean, we can see that even though we we're talking about his first and second films, we get a chance to see that he's been growing in terms of his film appearances. As this year, he had not one, but two uh, movies that came out this year. One, he has been, both of them DC, both DC films. So, <laughs> My man is like just taking over DC little by little because during the time in which he was filming as a uh, Hawkman on Black Adam, uh, he also decided to take some time to step away in today's film, Green Lantern, Beware My Power. Yes, this is it. We have finally made it through our entire sweet or sour season. This is the last film. We have traveled from... Um, 16 years of DC animated entertainment to hear the 48th film within the DC animated universe. I didn't realize it. (laughs) (laughs) So now that we have Aldous Hodge here with our 2022 film with a runtime of 87 minutes, of course we have to get our mindsets correctly because this is a pg-13 film so unfortunately we can't say as much stuff as we said in our soul of the dragon episode pg-13 hmm <laughs> you know there's a, i'm still shocked about this but i think that as we got older things got more acceptable <laughs> uh so this film was directed by newcomer to the uh dc universe with jeff wayme waymster and then we have today's film is that we get a chance for the first time ever 
to see John Stewart Green Lantern become the Green Lantern and what that origin story looks like in the animated universe. We've been calling for this for years and finally we got it. Yeah, I just I would just not realize it every other time. It's just like, oh, he's just there. (laughs) (laughs) So now we have our um, our cast list for today. As we mentioned, Aldous Hodge is here as our John Stewart Green Lantern. Uh, Very excited for him. So we're going to see what's going to happen in this film. Next up, uh, we may have curled away from his milk drinking habits and it's always sunny in Philadelphia. But today, McPoyle brother Jimmy Simpson is Green Arrow. It's all I can think of the entire movie. <laughs> yes, <Poyle. laughs> uh, Jamie Gray Hyder um, will always answer her call of duty because she was a motion capture double within the games as well as a voiceover artist in the games as well. But today she flies in as hot girl Shaira Hall. Uh, next up, his missions held a special place in our hearts as PlayStation Spider-Man fans as a uh, taskmaster but today brian bloom lends his voice to adam strange and speaking of playstation spider-man he was the voice of aaron davis aka the prowler as well as atrocitus in the injustice games ike amadi is here as the voice of martian manhunter a role he returns for after the man of tomorrow film which kicks off this new universe that we're playing around in with this movie today uh sunil mahatra um, his voice acting career is way long. I think one of the favorite things that I saw come up was that he was actually the voice of Balfunga's ship in our Emerald Knights episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, he also starred in the movie Johnny Bravo Goes Bollywood. Um, do with that information what you must. Uh, but today's... <laughs> <laughs> but today, Sunil is voicing the Power Ring today. And finally, I mean, the, the only thing I could say about this person here is that you've seen her in Pootie Tang. You've seen her in the UPN series Girlfriends. Um, as, and today, she is here while taking a break from filming her next film, in which she'll be leading in, called Titanic 666. Keisha Sharp will be doing her second voice acting role ever as Vixen. But yeah, she was in this movie too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think that already says some things about this film. So um, now that we have everything set, let's polish our rings and boom tube over to the beginning of Green Lantern, Beware My Power. It's fitting you mentioned there was a Call of Duty actress because the movie starts in a Call of Duty campaign where absolutely everybody <laughs> is getting wrecked in a very realistic and a little jarring to start with, but it is a good, effective way to to shake your senses because we cut to a sniper who is just mowing down everyone until he is attacked by a knife-wielding man. And um, while he's able to fend off one attacker, one attacker knifes him right in the hand and before we see what how that happened, what uh, what the result was, hard cut. Now we see him standing in front of a supermarket with a thousand mile stare, clearly suffering from some sort of PTSD right in front of that market. Yes, we get introduced immediately to uh, John Stewart 
I believe, new name Diggle, but I'm assuming this is just John Stewart here. Um, he's held up in his moment of PTSD as a man um, tries to exit from behind him, and this leads him to attacking this man. Um, he knocks all his food and groceries to the ground, so he decides just to apologize and head along his way to head back home in which he comes across a drunk homeless man who's being attacked by two other men who clearly have nothing better to do. Yeah, uh, they were so mad about this man hanging in the alley. Do they trap in this alley? Like, what happens in this alley? alley? (laughs) Why do they need this alley so badly? Because they're so mad about it that they pour gasoline on this man and get ready to set him on fire until John Stewart steps in with an impressive opening fight scene. Yeah, the animation is smooth on this one. But yeah, the animation is real smooth on this one. It's an animation style that's been adopted recently in this new universe. Um, another reason why we know it's definitely a new universe is because the homeless man is rambling about the loss of lives due to a world-ending flash of white um so this could be spoilers for the film maybe uh but i do feel like this kind of ties in with the aftermath of the apocalypse war movie a little bit like he somehow has some kind of recollection of the universe being rebooted and you know of course you have to save this man because he has a wealth of knowledge so john stewart just immediately starts wrecking these two guys um, unfortunately, though, uh, it seems to be very typical. Um, this is how I knew that this was a nonfiction story, because when he is getting ready to um, once again stop them from attacking him any further, the cops come in and immediately tase John, bringing him to the ground. Yeah, and um, in the the most powerful taser I've ever seen. Used yeah, we on saw a human. the lightning bolts. Jeez, <laughs> like. <laughs> Did Azula hit you with lightning or did you just get tased? <laughs> it was like, I, I, we know lightning, but have you ever had black lightning? That was, that was kind of bad. It was. <laughs> um, fortunately, after um, he is arrested, the, the officers do a background check and realize he is a soldier, a highly decorated soldier, and this reaction might have been due to um, you know PTSD, due to trauma. So they try to ask him more questions, but he remains very stoic. He, he just refuses. He just stays silent, doesn't explain himself. And a little detail I love here is that when you look at his hand, there is a scar mm-hmm. from the war. Because typically in movies and TV, go back to anything you've seen to a character who has their hand injured. I guarantee you it'll be fully healed up by the next season or whatever, unless it's anime. But <laughs> Most of the time, it's completely healed, and I love that there is a there's a clear scar from this moment. It clearly is there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say I agree. I think that was like the first thing I peeped when he um when he was experiencing that first scene of PTSD where he, his hand is against the wall and it's the scar is the first thing you see. So it's a clear indication that it's just like this is a moment of PTSD because um. You know, he's it's a, a future jump. It's a bit of a time jump. It's clear that he has been returned back home. Um, you know, we don't know. We now know based off of this report that he has these these medals. But in the beginning, it's unsure. So the fact that they kept that 
scar throughout the entire opening scene here is just amazing level of detail that I'm glad that they did. And, you know, it, it it's to the point where it's just like, you still even see it as he's making his way back home after he's picked up his own groceries and is trying to live out his life when he sees something falling from the sky. So, yeah, this is the, um, the first unrealistic, you know, fantastical part of the movie. Not an alien ship crash landing in near John Stewart's home. The fact that he was the only one in the hood to check it out. Like, realistically, <laughs> I will, yeah, yeah. somebody would have been trying to strip the ship. Somebody would have been taking pictures, selfies. Like, it, he would have been the only one checking this out. <laughs> <laughs> but like, is that a spaceship, Bugatti? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They would have gone and tried some. But uh, inside the ship is not only just a Green Lantern, but a Guardian from Oa, one of the highest ranking, as high ranking of a Green Lantern as you can get. And, you know, in a story you've seen a couple times, but again, we've never seen these origins, so it's new for us. Mm-hmm. Um, the alien is saved from the wreck. And reveals that he was sent here to find Jon Stewart. And before he can get any medical attention, he immediately dies and disintegrates. And the only thing left behind is a ring that finds itself on Jon Stewart's finger. And Jon starts freaking out because he's... Well, it's funny. He freaks out over the ring crashing got me planning put on his finger but he doesn't freak out when a man disintegrates in front of him i'm just saying <laughs> he, he's seen some things you know i <laughs> <laughs> so he's freaking out because he can't take the ring off and the ring is also talking to him um so he's telling it to he's saying things like he's gonna hammer it off and we see that he creates his first construct here which is an actual hammer um and as he's like trying to figure out what to do, he asked the ring, is there a way, is somebody he could talk to that he can, um, that can get him to understand what's going on. And much like a Siri or an Amazon Echo, it doesn't really follow the instructions properly. So um, it starts taking him into space. Yeah, as you do when you, you know, that's why you can't, if you have an Alexa, make sure you don't say the wrong thing. Otherwise you end up going to space. And that's mm-hmm. that's uh that's a fact. It's in the manual and everything. Um, but <laughs> he ends up in the watchtower, um, right as Martian Manhunter, Green Arrow, and Vixen are having a discussion about some conflict in space that has taken Superman and Wonder Woman away. And in here, okay. So I do love what happens next, but I have to point out what is one of Martian Manhunter's powers. Just mental abilities. What what can he do with that? Oh yeah, he's tell uh... Yeah, because when John Stewart shows up, instead of Martian Manhunter reading his mind to see if John Stewart is friend or foe, he immediately <laughs> it's on sight, and he immediately attacks, which leads to to so the point make... where he almost looks like he's about to break his neck too. Just one point. Exactly. Out. Yeah, he's about to kill this man. Um. And he could just read his mind, which would be a, l- a lot better. But um, it does lead to another fun animated scene. This is where I can point out that the way they do constructs in this movie is so smooth. You know, you see mm-hmm. a flash of green light and then the construct appears a moment later. Um, and 
this just little detail of you kind of see the ring okay and then you see the construct is is just so smooth um and kind of makes it more fluid even though it sounds counterintuitive but after after John Stewart almost reflectively cuts off Martian Manhunter's neck with a construct knife, Green Arrow is able to subdue John, and they're going to actually sit down and talk for a second. Yeah, I do agree. I like the idea of the ring lighting up, and then you um, you see in the line of green, and then the construct, because it does um, seem very reminiscent of what we grew up with, and not just appearing out of nowhere. Um so again, shout out to Edge Animation Limited Co. That is the full name of the studio that did the work on this, who's done work also on the rest of the films in this universe as of late. Um, so as they are, as they figure out that it's time for them to sit down and talk things through, they're debating on what the next step should be. Um, this is when they finally ask the ring the most important question of all, who was his previous owner? And this is when the ring reveals that Hal Jordan was the previous owner of the ring, which immediately alerts the members of the Justice League that Hal Jordan has died, which throws Green Arrow into a fit of rage. But he's immediately calmed down by his teammates, and they decide to let the most angry person of the three of them, by which I mean Green Arrow, to head on out with John to investigate the ship that's crash landed because John realizes that this is his best shot of figuring out how to get this ring off of his finger. I do also want to mention that them knowing how Jordan also makes the scene a little bit more ridiculous, even though mm-hmm. I enjoyed the, the fight. They're like, cause it's not until Vixen sees John's shirt that she's like, you're a green lantern. Did the constructs and the green things <laughs> Thank you. that Hal does not set you off to that? Like what? Did, did you think what do you think he was doing? Anyway. So many questions, so few answers. <laughs> uh, silly, silly miss, but um so they find that the ship has self-repaired. So um, they are ready to get into it. And I do like this uh, little, th- there's some creative ways to deal with like exposition and, and possible plot holes in this movie. And when Green Arrow gets in the ship, Green, uh, John is like, you know how to fly this? And he's like, well, advanced technology is supposed to be more intuitive than normal technology. So boop, boop, boop. And he's instantly <laughs> able to fly it. And I love, I love that excuse. Um so you I also think, love the excuse yeah. of um of when they were trying to figure out how the ship just repaired itself and Green Arrow was just like, I don't know, it might have been some nanites or something like that. And it's just <laughs> like, yes, yes, just the same thing we would say, just comic books. That's the reason why this shit happened. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Just little hand waves, just keep it keep it pushing. We got a lot because they want to get to a lot, and they do. Mm-hmm. Um so they reach Oa pretty quickly. They find that a lot of the A-list uh, Green Lanterns are already dead. My boy Fishman, I'm sorry for not remembering his name. Tomorrow, something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's wow. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, tomorrow, but still close. That, you know, I, that's I'll, I'll give you the credit in class. <laughs> <laughs> needed needed Fishman to get there. Um, <laughs> so he's he's dead, and um, that leads them to find. 
go to a statue palace where they see all these statues of Green Lantern's past, but the biggest, uh, the greatest Green Lantern uh, of them all is Hal Jordan. And as they're taking in this information, they get attacked by not Hawkman, but Hawkwoman. Uh, unfortunately, still Hawk Girl. I believe. Oh, oh, film. is it? Yeah, um, unfortunately, um, she does comic books. She is actually the true Hawkwoman. I've been learning this as of late. I know we've been talking about this and how disrespectful it is that <laughs> she's still considered Hawk Girl. But I do believe that um, in this iteration, she's still considered Hawk Girl. Oh, well. They should look into that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Damn it. We're going to call her Hawkwoman for this episode. So Hawkwoman comes through with her mace and starts mollywhopping green, um, John Stewart here. John Stewart does, unfortunately, at one point, he does realize that he could take off the ring because he realizes that it moves slightly off of his finger. But upon getting attacked, he does run and grab for it again to put it back on in order to use it to create constructs to defend himself. Um, the battle is pretty one-sided, even with the ability to make constructs. But fortunately, Green Arrow jumped in, and this gives John an opportunity to create a Jeep as one of his constructs, which he uses to pin her against the wall. And basically, he hits the ignition and presses the gas, to further crush her and this is where we get a chance to see once again another strong moment this is the third moment of ptsd in our film here today um as john is just experiencing what happened to him with the knife being plunged into his hand while green arrow and the ring are both pleading for him to stop because it's clear that she is about to die and then they're not they're not going to use lethal force um john finally snaps out of it and I think the craziest thing about this is that um, Hawkwoman is so much of a warrior that she's willing to die a warrior's death in battle that she's just like, you should have kept going. But realizing that she has a second chance, decides to listen to what um, Jon Stewart and Green Arrow have to say. Yeah, uh, it's a great motif. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it more, but... Uh... It's a great motif of, of the choice to kill or not. Um, and they basically tell her, look, we impart a no attack. So if you we could all actually work together, see what's going on. And she agrees to this tenuous treaty um, because she has a lot that she wants to, to cover. So they go over to Thanagar, who which is looking closer to Apocalypse, to be honest. The red <laughs> skies, the desolate, the desolate lands. And as they arrive, a machine just kamehameha's an entire city. Um, like it's looking pretty bad. And we find out um, this imagery is from what is happening. Basically, there's a machine that has the ability to teleport things with zeta beam, zeta beams, zeta tubes. Yeah. I didn't want to mix those up. <laughs> zeta beams, yeah. Zeta beams. And that's what happened to Thanagar. They, you know, they were some people from Ran, the planet Ran, were running a test, and one of their principal cities was Kamehameha. So this has led Hawkwoman to have a grudge, obviously, against any Ranian she sees. 
And um, yeah, another one just shows up on site. And it's not pretty for a certain Mr. Adam Strange. No, it is not. Because as soon as he lands on the planet, he sees Hawkwoman and the two of them start to engage in a battle. Um, This is where we get a first opportunity to see finally the extent of what this war has led um, has led to also Adam Strange is looking rough like my man has not seen a razor in quite some time like I dude looks like like he could have been trapped on that island for five years with um with Stephen Amell and Green and Arrow <laughs> um so this is also where we get a bit of understanding too of what the um the war was about because not only do we get that again that mention of the the test going wrong but we also learned that apparently there was some kind of it was hacked in and most importantly this is where we actually learn that how hal died um because hal was trying to hold back the blast and unfortunately he got caught in it so realizing that they really don't know what's truly going on. Adam, upon getting captured and held down by um, Green Arrow and John used his constructs to hold back um, Hawkwoman, they they realized that Adam had no idea about uh, Thanagar being destroyed, the war that's happening. So he says that he's going to go and try to see if he could talk with his people. Um, so they hop back onto the ship as um, we head on over to try to see more about you know these people of Ran. Um, and I think my favorite thing while they were being on the ship is that we have moments in which John is trying to teach himself how to use the ring, including playing a game of chess, kind of, that just reminded me of the, of the scene from A New Hope. Like, it just pulled right from it. So um, while he's learning how to use his ring properly, we head on over to, to Ran for the first time. Yeah, and I do like... Uh... As a quick moment when they all were meeting, Aquaman. At one point, Green Lantern does get a chance to to kill Adam Strange if he really wanted to, and Aquaman says, "A true warrior always kills." And just so subtly, you see John Stewart grip his fist mm-hmm. in that moment. It's a small bit of animation, but it, it just speaks volumes. Um, so they they're on their way to Ran. And my goodness, they go into the middle of the messiest shit battle I have ever seen on screen. <laughs> How the hell could you tell who is on your side in this battle? It was so messy. It's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> Just shooting everywhere. So they uh, they try to, yeah, they try to. F- figure out what to make of this mess and no one's shooting at them luckily but they're able to make contact with the Randian ship and find a general whose piece like a piece of his head is missing this man's skull is exposed <laughs> um but he's still talking to them very calmly and he agrees to share some information and in exchange John Stewart try asks his ring if they can help get his, the general's ship to safety and upon doing this, you know, Stuart is very happy that he was able to help and save a life. 
But the general immediately kamikazes his ship into another Thanagarian ship, which Hawkwoman is cool with because everyone died an honorable death. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. As we said, this is a pretty strong motif here in this film. The the concept of a warrior's death, uh, which is, I guess, truly understandable when you have this strong sense of nationalism within a um, within a war film. Um, but prior to um using his ship to destroy a Thanagarian ship, uh this uh general Captain Cantus, um, he reveals that one of the Iranian scientists who was there in the beginning of the um Zeta Beam project, um, whose name is Sardath, uh, he intends to use the beam as a doomsday weapon to finally destroy Thanagar completely, by which I mean the um the the remaining soldiers of Thanagar. So now the new plan is to find a way to stop Sardath from doing this, which leads to Shaira Hawkwoman and Adam Strange finally putting their differences aside long enough to review some of the footage that Kansas has sent over to them about past attacks and they realize something pretty big is happening and that they truly don't know who is responsible for the war because um, even though there is a ship that does end up attacking um, either side and it's always like the opposite side ship is attacking the planet it's clear that this ship is one and the same and that it's just masking itself as um, ships from Ran and Thanagar. Yeah, so now they've realized that they this whole war the, that has escalated is all been manipulated by a third party. And fortunately, they're able to trace back. They're able to trace back a bunch of ship flights. Um, navigations to realize where they are. So they find an asteroid and a base within the asteroid. And in and this scene, again, every action scene tops itself uh, mm-hmm. in, in this movie. And as they're walking through the base calmly, uh, there's a surprise attack. And the way Stuart fluidly defends himself in an instant is just one of the best bits of animation in this film. Um, But they all have to go and fight all these Yellow Lantern opponents, including who I initially put in my notes as Third Eye Flash Dude, but I realized that was Despero, right? Yes, Despero. (laughs) Oh, my God. Why did I immediately start singing Third Eye Blonde in my my mind? (laughs) Never feel so alone. Um, So they're all... All the disassembled team of heroes is fighting their respective opponents. They're doing pretty decently. But when John gets an opportunity to kill Despero after Despero tried to kill him, he hesitates. He says, you know, I've had enough killing. I just don't want to do that anymore. But maybe he should have because someone, another friend shows up and it's not pretty for him. It is not at all because we have now joining the cast uh, Rick Wasserman, who we know from a bunch of other DC anime content as well as voiceover work in video games and films. 
Um, he is here today as Sinestro, and he immediately pulls a yellow gun at John's head. Um, he tells him to take off the the ring, which John does. And this leads to some of my favorite taunting of the film, in which John um, Sinestro says, man, I knew you were new to this, but you give a whole new definition to Green Lantern. <laughs> it's like, bro, savage. I learned from Damian Wayne, clearly. Um, so he uses this as an opportunity to knock out the heroes as they wake up inside a cage and they're all trying to figure out what to do next. When um, Sinestro is looking on at them, he's telling them that, like, you know, he's going to keep them here while he continues on with his plan to continue the um, to continue to fuel the fire behind the war between Rand and Thanagar. And as he leaves, everybody's still trying to figure out what to do, but there is hope. There is hope on the distance. A bearded man in a cloak comes out and even though he looks a lot like Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan Kenobi it is the one the only Hal Jordan yeah and I do want to highlight a quick line uh they are in a a jail of like yellow um lasers Mm -hmm. and constructs Mm -hmm. and um when they talk about the barrier um how Ollie mentions yeah Green Lanterns are weak against the color yellow so this barrier you can't overcome and as Stuart goes the color yellow is a barrier that I've been against my entire life and I that that line is just ugh that, that's how you write it that's how you write a character folks um, <laughs> but yes we get to this revelation of Hal who reveals that in the aftermath of the big getting hit by that big Zeta Beam laser um, Sinestro confronted him and in order to prevent the ring from falling into the wrong hands, he got naked. By that, I mean he released the ring <laughs> into um, to the Guardians in hopes that they would find someone who could take the ring and use it. And upon exchanging information about what they know about the Doomsday plan to destroy both planets, Sinesho goes, yo, thank you guys. The only reason I kept y'all alive was to get some info. So thank you for doing that. Um, but luckily, this quick deception doesn't stop them because they use Hawkwoman's nth metal knife that she had hiding in her boot. They ain't no stake in her boot. It's a knife. And <laughs> are able to cut the power to the jail and make uh, a great escape. Mm-hmm. They start heading on over to the um to their ship once again, and but before they do leave, they have to make sure to gather all their things because you know you can't leave anything behind unless you it's now their property. So one thing that they do see is that there is a a henchman or goon. I do not think he's actually a yellow lantern. It does not seem like he has any Mm -hmm. power lantern ring or any way, shape, or form. But this henchman goon. He is holding on to Hawkwoman's mace. So she's obviously tight about this. So Hal decides to go on over and steal back the mace. Normally, we would assume that he would just punch this dude in the face and then take it. It's a pretty big dude. I'm assuming that this is probably our most Jack character of the film today, maybe uh, a contender. I think so. I think so. Okay. Um. So Hal 
starts fighting against this guy and then he he's able to steal the mace but upon doing so we see that Hal takes the mace and whacks this guy straight forward in the head with it as he falls to the ground and dies much to the shock of Green Arrow who is just like you just killed somebody and you killed somebody with very little remorse what's going on never seen you do anything like this before to which Hal says that, you know, basically that war changes a man, you know, still kind of tying into this motif of um, the idea of war and how it affects the people who are in there. And when they finally make it to their ship, um, they realize that they're missing basically all their weapons. John doesn't have his ring. Um, Green Lantern, sorry, not Green Um Adam Strange doesn't have his uh, rocket booster. And the most important missing item of all, Green Arrow does not have his bow and arrow. I mean, he's pretty useless in this without it. <laughs> he, he's barely useful in this uh, right now, so I get it. So, luckily, uh, Stuart is able to tap into an innate Green Lantern ability, which is to pull your ring to you no matter where you are. So he's able to not only pull his ring, but the arrows, the jetpack, the gun, all of it to him. And I had that for my keys. My God, phone, like in the morning, uh, put out wallet. your alarm, <laughs> just come to me, <laughs> Thor style. And now they're all on the ship together. And I do like this little detail. The ship is damaged from earlier, so they can't beat Sinestro in a race to Ran. But when they get there, they narrowly get through a barrier um, and they reach to they reach this command post um where now they have to commit commit now they have to convince um sardath who if you watch house of dragon is basically Otto hightower um <laughs> they have to convince him not to use the doomsday machine and destroy thanagar mm-hmm. so they end up getting teleported on this ship where Sardaf is stationed, um, a secret base in which they're in. And unfortunately, though, this gives Sinestro and his Yellow Lanterns an opportunity to follow and immediately start their attack. Um, this leads into the biggest battle of our film here, as basically the rest of this film is just all of this battle. Because um we now see that the heroes have teamed up with the um, with the Ranians to take on the Yellow Lanterns. We get a, a really get a really cool opportunity to see some of my personal favorite moments of the battle. Like I, we see now that like John has really become adept at using this ring um, and ties it in with his Marine Corps training. So he starts um, working alongside the weapon systems that he knows in terms of like. He, He's able to construct a knife. He's able to construct fists. He's able to construct um, shields. So he he's really getting good at this ring. Um, also, Green Arrow had, I think, one of my favorite trick shots in mind that I've ever seen of his. He shot an arrow to um, to wrap somebody up, and then he immediately followed it up with what looked like a smoke bomb arrow to the face. Oh, my God. He was amazing. <laughs> Facts. Like, he, like, ultra instinct jumped over a, a a laser at one point like this man is <laughs> at the peak of his athleticism <laughs> yes we need more of this green arrow this this is who we need um 
But then the battle does lead into, because of course this is our John Stewart movie, it leads into a final battle between uh, John and Sinestro, where right before Sinestro is about to kill him, um, he ends up taking John's ring once again and throws it to the side. So John, using his innate power of calling the ring back to him based off his will, um, he uses it to create a projectile that goes right through Sinestro immediately killing him much to John's regret. Like he is looking on, he's just saying that I really didn't want to do this. I really wanted there to not be any more killing, which leads Sinestro to say his final words of that. You may have stopped me, but you won't stop my master. Yeah. I mean, I love uh, not since the image of the blood on Captain America's shield Mm. as like the imagery of the blood on the ring struck yeah. so hard and on his fingers too because that, yeah. like, that was that was strong yeah you can see it you know you don't usually think of green lanterns as like these bloody warriors so this was like very striking imagery um but this master things starts clicking things into place for stewart so as he races to the console and all the heroes do they see that hal has secured the launch codes to the device, but he kills Otto Hightower. I mean, Sardath um, for holding them because he's the only one who can operate them. And it is here we get the big reveal that Hal Jordan was an evil guy the whole time. Not only does he have a ton of Green Lantern rings, but he has also been infected by the parasite Parallax as revealed in the flashback that Sinestro decided to infect him. But instead of that making him obedient to pe- to Sinestro, it turned him into a freaking madman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, fun fact, I just wanted to say, I thought it was just really cool and funny that um, when everybody was looking on in shock to see that um, Hal Jordan had become evil, <laughs> John walked in and just shot him up with a sniper. <laughs> oh, yeah. This didn't kill him. But it was just funny that this was the first thing that John had to do upon entry. So this leads now to the true battle. This is like stakes of the universe are here because this is where, as you mentioned, Hal has been taken over by the parallax entity. So, um, and also possesses all the, the large assortment of Green Lantern rings. And it's because he realizes that um, he could be a god here and stop all conflict across the galaxy. And he's planning to do that by destroying Ran and Thanagar, which is why he's been pulling the strings behind this war all along. He's been the one setting up with these, um, sending them on the, uh, what's it called? Um, using, creating, having the ships do this and all that. So, the fact that Hal Jordan has become evil is much of a shock to everybody, including Green Arrow, who this is his best friend. This is the guy that he's been trying to save the entire time. This is the guy that Jon Stewart has been finding out more and more about. It's just been like this hero all this time. And it's um, a crazy level of a tie-in to a moment that happened previously. It's some really great foreshadowing, I will admit, in which when George, when um, John is walking through the hall 
and seeing all the Green Lanterns, they come across Sinestro and they recount the story of how Sinestro was a Green Lantern and then turned evil. Um, even that he trained um, Hal Jordan. So, you know, there's this sense of like, this is kind of like training of all that. And to see how Hal is once again being twisted by Sinestro, but in this new brand new way now with the parallax thing, it's leading into this big battle in which John has to finally decide um, if he's going to keep on fighting because he, at one point, another thing that does seem to come up is just like, he's tired. He's like, he's been fighting for so long. He fought in the war. He doesn't know where to find himself. So now that he's in the middle of this new war and he is the only force that could probably stop it, does this mean that he has to move forward and kill Hal Jordan all while the rest of the team has to stop the Zeta beam that's about to destroy um, Thanagar once again? Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot on the line. Um, and Adam Strange mentions earlier that Zeta beams are just attracted to him. So he decides to use that fact and kind of go the Zeta beam to follow him and uh, because it's already going to be fired. So he decides to lead the Zeta beam away. And after a sweet, sweet construct battle, I mean, this thing is just so fun and so fluid again. Um, It comes down to uh, how is temporarily bested by Jon Stewart, uh, despite having all the rings in the world. And, you know, even Stuart's able to even get some of the rings back, pull them right off of, of Hal. And really thought you were going to make a Shang-Chi joke there. No, no, I, <laughs> I, I held back. I held back today. <laughs> um, But despite all of that, um, getting all the rings, Hal is able to summon one last construct, a knife. And again, you know, we parallel right back to that opening scene. And... They just can't, and even then, Stuart just can't bring himself to use deadly force against Hal. So in here, we have an arrow hit Hal, fatally wounding him. And this is a moment of huge regret for Green Arrow. He never wanted to do this, but he realized to save the universe, he did have to kill his friend. And this is where, as Stuart offers to, to Green Arrow that, we're all forced to do things we don't want to. And we can't beat ourselves up as long as we do them for the right reasons. So, you know, that's Stuart's rationale and how he's able to overcome this uh, tragedy. And as that tragedy happens, um, Adam Strange is once again warped into another Zeta tube to some unknown location. As these sacrifices loom over, uh, it's time to finally return back to Earth and, uh, you know, put away those groceries because Stuart didn't put those <laughs> groceries away initially. Oh, he did not. That that, that <laughs> lettuce is rotten by now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so now that we are heading back to Earth, um, it's uh, Stuart, Green Arrow, and um, Hawkwoman. They're all talking amongst themselves. And... Um, Hawkwoman decides to leave, but promises that she'll return to to hopefully meet meet up with them again soon. 
Um, so now Green Arrow and John Stewart they walk off in the distance, and Green Arrow's like, you know, kind of giving Stewart some compliments on just like, you know, you did good work. You know, I know I was trashing on you earlier about you know your constructs of trash and and all that, but um, I'm glad to have been a part of this battle with you. And this is when um, Stewart says, you know, like at first. Green Arrow is still very sad about the loss of his friend. And he's like, you know, I don't really have that many friends or anything. So Stuart tells him that there are many new friends that they can make along the way. As our movie comes to a close here, as um, we see the credits roll, I got to admit the opening um, scenes, the credit scenes of this movie are stellar because it's the Warner Brothers DC's logo, but in space surrounded by like green energy. And it's like visually really cool. So um, that ends our movie here. Green Lantern, Beware My Power. Before we get into um, whether or not this movie that came out in early March of 2022, or sorry, early uh, summer of 2022, and just was released on HBO Max not too long ago, hashtag not sponsored. uh, We're going to find out how many rings we can actually put on our fingers to see if we could be like Hal Jordan. But in the meantime, here's a podcast from the Forgotten Entertainment family that you should be listening to the next time you're not listening to us. Hi, I'm Mike Phil. I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Generic Ad. Join us every Wednesday as we talk about films that seem to be forgotten by audiences, whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time or the film simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the film, maybe don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. You never know, you might find your own forgotten gem. Forgotten Cinema is available wherever you get your podcasts or at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com as we are a proud part of the Forgotten Entertainment family i swear i talk more in the episodes all right so green lantern beware my power in 2022 um this movie dropped this is the, one of the latest films to have been released by uh dc animation entertainment um what do you think andrew is this movie as sweet as the groceries that probably are still located in the supermarket where John does his shopping or is this more sour than I'm assuming para- the parallax entity has to be I got to say fittingly this is probably the hardest rating of the entire season uh mm-hmm. we didn't we didn't plan it like this but uh <laughs> this one is tough because John Stewart's plotline from start to finish is handled so well Obviously, it's groundbreaking because we've never seen it before. And uh, the themes of of when it's right to kill, is it ever right to kill? Being a soldier, um, having this thrust upon um, are so powerful. But on the other hand, you have a ton of other movies packed into this movie (laughs) with Adam Strange's entire backstory kind of temporarily hijacking the plot. Al's transformation to this evil entity being very quick. Um, and, you know, a lot of stuff about Rand and Thanagar that we don't necessarily get keyed into. So it is a tough call. But ultimately, I think this movie, I will give a sweet. Um, mm. The thing that tips it over the edge for me in that direction ever so slightly is that even with a ton of things going on, it um, keeps the emotional through line 
through, it never loses sight of how these effect these events are affecting John, even though they mm. could have cut back a lot on these events <laughs> significantly <laughs> so that it was more of a John story. We always have a sense of where he is and what his headspace is. And I've seen movies with thinner plots where I couldn't even tell you what the main character was thinking. And here there's no question. I, I was following with John's journey I like how much Green Arrow was able to build his relationship with Hal off screen before they even met and how effective that ending was for him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Adam Strange's tragedy of the journey and Aquaman as this very, uh, you know, serious comedic foil. All of that worked. All that chemistry worked. So I think even though it gets very messy and I imagine you'll cover <laughs> that it cuts... <laughs> Around a lot of of stuff from the comics. Ultimately, I think as a product, it is it is interesting. It is groundbreaking, um, thematically sound. And I think one thing that also helps is that when I think of a movie we did very recently, um, where they introduced the new Green Lantern, and her backstory was kind of cut and chopped to hell mm-hmm. for them to get to the end. Here, by contrast. Um, the Green Lantern story is given the attention it deserves. While other things do happen, and certainly a lot of other things do happen, uh, this is a Green Lantern story, and it becomes a Green Lantern story, and that's why, for the first, the first Green Lantern suite I'm awarding <laughs> goes to this. Uh, yes. what do you, what do you think? Um. Man, I agree with you. This was definitely a tough one. Um, But I think if I were to really sit down and think about this, this movie is much like an orange, not the color, um, the fruit, because this is a very sweet movie. However, I am not blind to the possibility of the sour aftertaste. Um. You know, I let once I left this movie, um, I realized I had two different viewpoints fighting in my head about this. Um, it might have been also that because I was wearing my own version of a power ring on the side, I was probably chirping in a little here and there. But um, there, there, I saw this movie as a DC Comics fan and as a no context watcher. Um, as the fan, I picked up on all the references. I understood where the story was going. Um, except I will say that the, 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 how Jordan turned into parallax was shocking. I was not expecting that. So I thought that was a nice little twist that, you know, usually I say that I don't like when, um, they turn away from the comic book villain, but this time around, I think it was kind of cool to see that this popped up. Um, just because I never would have thought they would actually have gone through this in animation in any way, shape, or form. Um, but as a no-context watcher, if I was to sit down, like I did, watch this for the very first time, there's just way too much that gets thrown at you. <laughs> <laughs> what, you mean Adam um, Strange's dead wife and, and yeah. possibly missing daughter? <laughs> You don't feel like they covered enough of that? <laughs> oh my gosh. In fact, this there is a DC showcase, which is apparently the prequel to this, 
that covers that entire story. And I was like, as I was watching, it's like, oh my gosh, there's there's homework. I have to watch <laughs> this other film. If it wasn't for the fact that I had randomly seen it, um, fun fact about this DC showcase, Adam Strange, I think it was a part of the home release version of Justice League Dark Apocalypse War. So this has been in the mindset, this direction of using Adam Strange, especially in this film, since probably about 2020, I think, was when that movie came out. So they had already more or less set up the new universe immediately after ending um, the the Flashpoint New 52 era. So uh, to the fact that we got, we got to, first off, meet Adam Strange, and not only Adam Strange, we got to meet Hawkwoman. We got to meet, which I felt was a little, this is what's causing a bit of my sour aftertaste about this film, is that uh, Martian Manhunter and Vixen, I feel were kind of wasted in this film. <laughs> I had to bring them up in the cast list because they're going to be a big part of the ser- of this film series, I'm assuming, this saga that they're now creating moving forward because Martian Manhunter, this is his second appearance in this new universe. And Vixen, I'm assuming she's there for the fan service of the JLU um, matchup with her and, and Jon Stewart. So... And then we also get thrown into the Thanagarian Iranian War, um, which looking up on it has, and I'll cover it in the um the comic book section. There's 15 years of context. Oh god, that we have to go through, or rather, in the, this like story came out like about 15 years ago, and it, there, there's so that played a a big part. And then along with that, we also get introduced to the Yellow Lanterns and Parallax in this all new universe. So. Which is why, you know, it's cool to finally get an opportunity to see Jon Stewart. I love the dynamic. His character characterization in this film is phenomenal. Um, bringing it to the point where the PTSD plays a big part in him joining into this war again. Great work. Um, even just the animation scenes, the fight scenes. That's the that's the main thing that tips it over for me. The fight scenes and the little and and the animation details are phenomenal and i think that's why this movie is a sweet for me however because of the fact that there's so much extra homework like um you know we understand now that this is a new universe this is the uh i believe now this is the fourth film um sorry third film uh no sorry fifth film fifth film Mm -hmm. because i'm counting um batman the long halloween both parts as their own individual film um, to understand some of the the little things, um, you know, as we mentioned, DC showcase Adam Strange, the short that was created, is the prequel to Adam Strange's journey here. So that's one thing. And then when they mentioned the um, Superman and Wonder Woman being somewhere else, we it means to me as a someone who's like seen the films i now have to know that the justice league has been established which we saw a little bit of in that post-credit scene in batman the long halloween but it also means that i have to watch man of tomorrow i have to watch justice society world war ii which introduces wonder woman and the flash and now um also batman long halloween to understand that there's some idea that the justice league has already formed that's the main reason why i was a little 
upset about this movie just because they threw in so much stuff that didn't necessarily connect to um john stewart and it feels like we're just trying to force the creation of the justice league really quickly down everybody's throats when in the last universe we had a full movie dedicated to their creation and i'm not saying that we need a full movie to the creation of this new justice league but it seemed like no one knew who the justice league was at least from john stewart's point of view because um you know, they don't know. It seems like, the, as you mentioned, they, they started attacking him and didn't immediately put together that, oh, he could be a Green Lantern. And he doesn't really seem to know much about the Justice League Watchtower or any of the members of the League. So either they they all found each other pretty easily, which seems impossible, or the reporting in this universe sucks <laughs> and he's just not paying attention to the news. Lois Lane, what are you doing here? Like, come on now. <laughs> Get it together. Yeah, and I, I agree. There's there's so much. And if the movie had been any less, like, if without Jon Stewart, he really holds this movie together. Without mm-hmm. him, a lot of this would just not work. Just straight up yeah. not work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I think my RT alteration, just to really just cut the Adam Strange stuff, honestly. Um, I think you could... <laughs> Probably I'll take that back. I'll take that back. (laughs) No, no, I'm just just a suggestion. But like, I think you would probably get to the end game of this, which is the the shock of uh, Hal is parallax and there's a conspiracy going on between Thanagar. Because you don't specifically need Adam Strange to uncover the conspiracy. There are ways around this, I think, that you Mm. can get to the end. But um, yeah, like he could just be a random Rand guy. With a lot less history, you can just swap him out for just like, oh, you know, it's a random foot soldier. And I get it wouldn't be as, you know, Easter egg and rewarding, but it would allow more time to just have with all the other things that are going on and streamline it into a more of a Green Lantern movie. Yeah. Um, and I do have to follow up with a second RT alter- alteration. Make Aldous oh. Hodge John Stewart in the DCEU, please. Um, yes, yes. I, I don't yeah. care that he's Hawkman. He could be the same. You're going to yeah, have, a... yeah, like, a, a, what is it? Jason Momoa wants to be Aquaman and Lobo. Let, let Aldous Hodge be Jon Stewart and Hawkman. <laughs> Let's you. not forget about Digimon um, Su, who is just like, I think he is multiple characters within the TCEU already. If he's going to be across. playing. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's too, it's, it's possible. Just do it. <laughs> Is he the true Martian Manhunter of the DCEU? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you're right. He could be. Then, <laughs> all right. Well, um, as we mentioned, let's just get right into it because, along with the fact that we threw in so much content into this film, uh, we got to make sure that we at least cover the crap ton of comic book knowledge that has popped up in this as well um be here for the next three days (laughs) yeah pretty much um i will cut down on a lot of stuff um mainly because um you know i will say just first and foremost this thing this movie just reminded me so much of the mindset that was taken into dc rebirth um so dc rebirth was the story the the storylines of um what followed after new 52 
um, which was the Flashpoint era. So basically what they did was they combined all pre and pre and Flashpoint storylines, fused them together to create this new post Flashpoint storyline. Um, so that's basically what I felt like watching this movie was like. And so some of the things that we're pulling from are um, the origin of Green Lantern, John Stewart, which I covered back in our static episode in which he did meet John Stewart for the first time. And, um, you know, shout out to Phil and Mark for doing d- dual voice work on that episode. Um, also, I'm not going to talk about classic stories like Emerald Twilight from 1994 and Zero Hour Crisis in Time from 1995, because I think that everybody's favorite meme is seeing um, how Jordan have more rings than Jennifer Lopez. So I think we all know the context of what happened there a little bit. <laughs> uh, but I will be covering this relatively new story, which is the Iranian Thanagarian War that was first fully written out in 2005 by Dave Givens and serves as pretty much the backstory for this film. Uh, so it starts with Adam Strange, who was first in, first created by Julius Schwartz in um, Showcase number 17 back in ni- November of 1958. So at the time of this recording, happy birthday, Adam. Uh, I believe this is your 66th birthday that we'll be celebrating this year. Uh, Doesn't look a day over 65. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So he was an archaeologist that, while in Peru, got teleported by one of the characters from my film here, Sardath. Um, So Sardath sent out a Zeta beam in an effort to connect intelligent life on Earth to Ran because he was hoping that there would be someone smart enough to figure out that the beam came from Ran in the hopes that they will then um, create some cross connection between the two planets and galaxies. Unfortunately, this immediately teleported um, Adam over to Ran, where he's first introduced to Alana, who was also mentioned in the film, who is actually Sardaf's daughter, as was also mentioned. And the two of them fall in love. They get married. They have a kid together. Um, Unfortunately, the beam's energy is only temporary. So Adam, unfortunately, gets returned home every single time that the beam used to um, dissipate from his from his body. So in order to, you know, being a good father-in-law, Sardaf gave all the information on Zeta beams to Adam, which Adam then used um, math and science, shout out to STEM education, to figure out where these beams will will pop up around the world. And what he would do is that he would continuously chase after these beams so he could head back over to Ran, be with Alana, and serve as a hero on Ran um, because he wanted to make sure to protect, the, to protect the, his, his second home. Um, so that's like a quick intro on Adam Strange, who eventually does continue to have some more series, including um, the first series that led into the um, Iranian and Thanagarian War, which is um, Adam Strange, um, Adam Strange's special uh, Planet Heist, which was an eight-part series that was written in 2004 and was written by um, art by Pascal Ferry and our new favorite, per- or actually rather favorite person. Andy Diggle. Oh, Andy. <laughs> yeah, so in this story, um, we learned that 
Adam has like kind of gotten a better understanding of Zeta beams, a true understanding, so he could pick up where they are. He even, you know, I think in more co- recent continuity, he's able to, as we saw in the movie, it like pops up randomly where he doesn't really know where they happen as much. However, he ends up missing uh Zeta beam transfer for him to head on over to Rand just when he's thinking that this will be, he found the way to stay there permanently. So as he's getting ready, unfortunately, he misses it. And he then learns from Superman that the reason, the other reason why he missed it is because the um, Ran, the planet of Ran was completely destroyed. It's missing in some way, shape, or form. Um, this causes Adam to go on the quest to try to see if he could find out what happened to Rand because Superman doesn't share with him and because Superman doesn't know. So he decides to go on the quest and he teams up with um, heroes like the Omega Men, um, the Dark Stars, who are kind of like Green Lanterns, but darker. Um, and then um, Brainiac 2, um, who has a police force, they team up to find out what's happening because it's revealed that Sardath, um, he actually moved the entire planet using his Zeta beam technology to save it from a villain called Starbreaker who eats off the energy of planets. If you look at this guy, he kind of looks like, um, what's his name, from Superman's Request of Peace, that radioactive dude. Well, so kind of like Superman, kind of looks like him. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, radioactive man. Yeah, I love him. Favorite, <laughs> favorite DC villain. <laughs> um, so Starbreaker tried to destroy Ran. Um, fortunately, they were able to take him down. But um, well, actually, they took him down in the past, uh, and then he died during the efforts. But then this death cult um, led by Cherie Valkyrie, um, she's trying to resurrect Starbreaker once again. Which Adam, along with his um, team with the Omega Men and Dark Stars and Brainiac 2's police force. They're able to stop her in a battle that leads to her death. And with her dying move, she moves the, um, Ran once again, putting it to occupy the same um, space as Stanagar. And cool. this is what... Le- hmm? I was saying that's quite rude. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, come on, man. I just, <laughs> I just found my keys. You're going to move them again? Uh, and this leads to actually the, um, the war here the Iranian Thanagar war um that we talked about from this comic in 2005 and what's the um the plot for basically the our film here today um and more or less plays out the same um basically what happens is that um with the movement of Ran to Thanagar uh Thanagar um gravitational pull starts pulling it towards his son causing the destruction of just the entire planet, which leads into also part of the destruction of Ran. Um, so uh, Ran is still more or less stable, but Thanagar is, is completely destroyed in its own way. So Adam Strange, um, in an effort to once again stop the rest of the members of this cult and from continuing on with this war and leading into this battle between Rand and Thanagar, who both of them believe that the other is responsible for their situation. Um, Adam teams up with Hawkman, as well as Kendra Saunders, who is uh, this version's Hawk Girl, 
and also teams up with Shaira, who is now Hawk Woman, to um to help stop the war between Ran and Thanagar, which they're able to do so. Also, Green Lanterns come into play. Kyle Rayner comes in to help with the efforts. Um, and they're able to stop the war, which they learn little by little the movement of the planet was actually caused as well by uh, Superboy Prime because this story, this entire story is a prequel to Infinite Crisis. Okay, that's 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 enough. That's enough. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and we blame the movie. <laughs> but wait, there's more. <laughs> oh god. Um as I mentioned, this 2005 story is the first fully written out version of the Rand and Thanagar war. There was another. Prior to Crisis on Infinite Earths in 1985, there was another moment in which in the series DC Showcase um where Hawkman and Adam Strange kind of led that series along with Hawk Girl who again was Shira. Um this story ran from issues 101 to 103 in 1978 and was written by Jack C. Harris and Al Milgram. Uh, in this story, we see that team up once again between Adam Strange, Hawkman, and Hawkgirl. This time, to stop the villain, Kanjar Rowe, who is paying Randians and Thanagarians to cause chaos amongst the two planets and eventually pitting them against each other so that he can take over as a dictator in the aftermath which I can see why they pulled a lot of this story into actually our film today, but just replacing Kanjar Rowe with um, maybe like Hal and the Yellow Lanterns to try to spice it up a little bit. And that's it. That is the, that's actually the abbreviated Oof. version of the war. Um, <laughs> there are about, geez, I think almost 15 comics because we have eight parts in the um, 2004 series about the planet heist. Then there are seven comics plus in the um, Rand Danigar War, plus a tie-in to Infinite Crisis that leads into that. And then they got into another battle. This time, Rand and Danigar got into a holy war in which Adam Strange had to fight in it once again, but this time blind. Blind, you say? I I believe this was the time that he fought in it blind. There are many times in which Rand and Danigar have, have pretty much gone to war, and at one point he does fight in it when he's been blinded and it's just it's a wild story and i can see this actually has been um this is actually this this war actually has been in preparation um in terms of being animated out since probably justice league versus the fatal five another movie that we covered there is that scene in which it's revealed that um John Stewart is on Ran, I think, handling something that's been going on. And then in the next scene, Mr. Terrific and Superman are talking about how um, Shira, she left recently while trying to break through the, bar the, the prison that's holding the Fatal Five because she had to head back to Thanagar due to a war that was happening out there. And those wars that they were mentioned in that movie is this war okay okay so it's all it's all connecting yeah little by little uh but again you have to do so much homework to understand these things including watch basically all tomorrowverse plus dc showcase adam strange plus the random 
Justice League versus the Fatal Five, it brings in the um, Bruce Tim and Paul Denny DCAU. So yeah, get some homework, guys. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll, there will be a test later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially because um, we've we've wrapped up our sweet or sour season. This, you're, you now have to take on the final. <laughs> ah, but oh man, that is 16 years of DC animation that we've, we've just covered. How are you feeling? I feel like it took only six years to do it all. <laughs> just because of the, the uh, freaking months, not, was it Monster Mayhem? Monster Mayhem. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna... <laughs> That's gonna haunt me. I can and tell. I do pun intended. <laughs> Solomon Grundy's gonna walk up to you every single time in your dreams saying it's pizza time. Oh god. Joker, don't kiss me. <laughs> Why is my car a wolf? <laughs> well, all right. Well, um, thank you all for joining us for our journey through the DC animated universe as we went through and determined whether or not these films still hold up to so what they are, I think I definitely had some favorites, such as the uh, Superman and Batman Public Enemies, which was basically explained our 2016 experience. Yeah, and, pretty um, succinctly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we also had some fearful ones, such as um, uh, Green Lantern, Emerald Knights, which uh, I can't tell what time is anymore since we have so many flashbacks. <laughs> God, that one is. Uh... Yeah, that one was that one was. Uh... Yeah. I didn't know. I honestly didn't expect, but uh, one of the best ones we saw in this series, Super Pets, and it wasn't even intended <laughs> to be a part of this thing. Um, yeah, officially on the record, uh, you know, Gods and Monsters, um, Return of the Cave Crusaders both had were much better than they had any right to be. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, I have to say, yeah, I think uh, I know we feel differently about Soul of the Dragon, but that was a trip as well. Listen, I think I will condone any movie in which Bronze Tiger calls Bruce Wayne white rice. I will. <laughs> it gets a pass for me. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. But that wraps up our season here. Um, we're going to I think we're going to take some time to figure out what we're going to cover next. But uh Meantime, I guess just keep an eye out for our social medias because um, we are actively the wheels are turning and thinking about what we're going to cover next. So we're going to release that once we figure that out. <laughs> yeah. And uh, if you're a fan of Bat Wheels on HBO Max, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> you just end it right there, actually. <laughs> 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 all right well thank you again for joining us for our sweet or sour season um as you can probably pretty much gather we, we we're coming back for another season you're not gonna be we're not leaving you you can't get rid of us that easily um so in the meantime take care of yourselves and remember that well if you see a giant light stream coming your way and you do not have zeta beam powers Run like hell. Don't don't wait for it. Run like hell. Yeah, in in a sideways direction. Don't just run straight ahead. And <laughs> serpentine, serpentine. Dude, something. 
And if you find that a spaceship has crash landed near your home, don't be the first one to check it out. Let let somebody else go in there because they could be the aliens from Attack the Block. You know, you don't know. (laughs) So let somebody else check it out and then go in there and check it out. Yeah, and that gives you enough time to put away your groceries as well. Exactly. Take care (laughs) of your groceries, then look at the alien ship. (laughs) 